0: Thank you again just for the opportunity to praise your name, just to sing songs of worship to you, Lord. I pray you've been glorified and honored. I pray that we would continue with that spirit of worship now as, as we just move into a teaching time, Lord, a time of study, a time of opening up absolute truth and applying it to our lives. Lord, I pray that you would just speak very clearly through me, Lord, just remove any thoughts that I have, personal preferences. And instead, Father, I pray that you would just speak through me and through your word. And I I pray in that process you'd be honored and glorified, Father. We want to grow. We want to learn. We want to trust you more. So through the power of the Spirit, Lord, may we be transformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. We are continuing our series this morning. We've entitled Tension faith versus culture. It's a study through difficult topics, difficult issues in our society, and our culture, and I, I've kind of given you every week what the next week is going to be and ask you uh, to pray about your own heart and how you would receive it, uh, but also to pray for me that God would give me the words and, and the understanding in scripture. And so as I started preparation early this week, I, I told you last week, today we were going to study Me Too and toxic masculinity. And as I really got into that and prayed through that and studied and, and tried to just seek the Lord, I've decided to do something a little bit different this morning. I'm going to take toxic masculinity, uh, which I'm going to talk a lot about. There's a lot there. I didn't want to try to just skim through that. I'm going to move that to next week. So next week will be the idea of toxic masculinity. Really, the place I'm going to go with it is biblical manhood, biblical masculinity. But the world says one thing, that is very different from what Scripture says, men. Very different. And I just think we ought to examine that and understand that together. Today, I'm going to preach just about the Me Too movement. And I've got the hashtag on the screen for you to see it. Some of you are aware of this, but I want to explain it pretty clearly to make sure we're on the same page to understand what this is and then kind of tell you how we're going to approach it together and maybe what we can learn from it. Over the last couple years, uh, we've seen a long list of very high-profile celebrities, uh, actors, politicians accused of sexual harassment. Harry Weinstein, Kevin Spacey, Bill Cosby, on and on the list would go. And as these women were coming forward with their stories a couple of years ago, Alyssa Milano, who is an actress, tweeted... If you've ever been sexually harassed or assaulted, write Me Too as the reply. Her tweet prompted more than 12 million Facebook reactions in 24 hours and a million tweets with the hashtag Me Too in the next 48 hours. And since then, it's just grown. So Me Too simply means when when, when someone posts this on social media or says it, it simply means they've been sexually assaulted in some way. Now, sexual assault, and I was kind of blown away by these numbers, is probably a lot more prevalent than we know. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, one out of every five American women have been raped. The CDC also tells us that 44% of American women have experienced some other form of sexual violence. That means approximately... 53 million American women have been subjected to sexual harassment, sexual assault, or some other type of sexual violence in their life. Now, that's just the women that have reported, mind you. There are a lot of opinions out there about women that have never reported, and those numbers are probably inflated. So we understand just from that, just from those statistics, this is an incredibly big deal in our culture and our society. And I want you to understand, for me personally, this is a very difficult subject. I spend a lot of time thinking and and praying about this. It's difficult for me for, for really one main reason. I know that there are women in this church that have been abused sexually. I know there are I've spoken to some I'm aware that there are others and so I just really prayed about this sermon and I want you to know that I want to as much as I can be very sensitive to this issue but I need to tell you a couple things and I talked a lot to Amy this week I needed her perspective and her opinion from this and 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 I'm very grateful for her and kind of how she enlightened me a little bit but I want you to know I may not say the things you need to hear I may not say what you want me to say. I may some, say some things you don't agree with, but I want you to know above all that, I care deeply for you and I'm willing in any way I can to help you. If you are a woman or a man, frankly, and those numbers do exist, they're a lot smaller, but they do exist. If you're a woman or a man that struggled with this or have been abused, my team, our church is willing and ready and will do anything we can to help you. I'm certainly not gonna ask you to come forward and, and do anything that would be uncomfortable, but if, if you need help or wanna talk, or just need to vent, I would be happy to, to do that myself or to put you in contact with a woman who's been through this who would love to talk to you. I just don't want you to feel alone. Because I know that's one of, the, one of the most difficult things that, that women go through. I know it, it can last for many of them a, a lifetime. And I, I just wanted you to know that we, we care and, and want to help you in any way we can. So, so in order to kind of understand this, I really pray through what text am I going to preach? Where am I going to start with this? Because there are all sorts of things we could say in Scripture and there are all sorts of places we could look. But I kind of settled in as I prayed and studied into one particular place you're going to be familiar with. My guess is you probably haven't quite seen it like we're going to look at it this morning. But I'm going to invite you, if you have your Bibles, to open to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Now I've got kind of two main ideas that I want you to understand this morning. Kind of two main points of this sermon that I'm going to walk through. First... I want to look at sexual abuse from a biblical standpoint. What does the Bible say about it? How do we need to understand it? How do we need to deal with it? Uh, Frankly, what kind of red flags should we have in our lives to be uh, aware of it? And then secondly, as we kind of end this morning, I want to talk specifically to women that have been abused and really hopefully encourage you with, with some truth. This in 2 Samuel chapter 11, those of you that have already found it, is the story of David and Bathsheba. Now many of you are familiar with this story, I'm going to kind of shed it in a light, maybe you haven't seen before, based on what I think the text actually says, and I'll be honest with you, before I studied it this week in the depth that I've studied it, I probably would have explained it a little bit differently than I'm going to explain it this morning, but I want you to see it and and understand it and, and kind of know foundationally that we live in a broken world. This this whole Me Too movement, and we can talk about a lot of different reasons it's happening and how to stop it, and there's all sorts of opinions out there and and, and some good answers and some bad answers, but the bottom line is that we live in a broken world, and the entire problem with sexual abuse is based on the fact that there's sin in our world. There's sin in our world, period. And until we come to the the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and His forgiveness, this is never going to be fixed. And I don't want to discourage anybody, but there's no real political answer for me too. You understand that? There's not really a very good social answer, frankly, for me too, outside of the truth of God's Word and outside of the hope that we find in Christ. And so I want to look this morning at 2 Samuel chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, the story of David and Bathsheba. This is King David that we know so well, David and Goliath. We know the stories beginning in verse 1, in the spring of the year. The time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. So David has sent out his armies. He sent out his generals. He sent out his commanders. He stayed back in Jerusalem, verse 2. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. Verse 3, David sent out and inquired about the woman. And one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. Awfully important idea. We'll come back to it in just a second. And she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, verse 5, and the woman conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Let's stop there. There's more to it. We'll get to it. I want to come back to it. But I want to just pull out some biblical truth, some understanding of this account, some understanding of what David went through, really red flags and mistakes that he made, ways in which we can be aware and hopefully in our lives change some things. Here's the first truth. It's real simple. We've all heard it before. Unfortunately, very few people live by it and understand it. Truth number one, lust always begins in the mind. Lust always begins in the mind, right? It always starts with a thought, with a look. Men, for us, it's very visual. Like, I've never spoken to a a man who's committed adultery, or even a woman for that matter, who says, you know, I just woke up one morning and decided to have an affair and ruin my marriage. That was just a decision I made that morning. It doesn't start like that. It starts with a look, with a glance, with a thought with something in our heart, with something in our mind. And, and typically when men describe this, especially if they've committed an affair, they've committed adultery, it starts with something like this. Well, she just understood me. I was going through a problem at home. I wasn't very happy. There were issues in the house. And this woman that I worked she just got me. She just understood me. So we started talking a little bit, right? It always starts there. It starts with a glance, with a look, with some sort of a thought, right? I, I just want to kind of warn you, if you are thinking or saying anything like that to anyone of the opposite sex that's not your spouse, stop. Real simple. It will not end well for you. We see that in this case because I want you to notice what happens with David. It's kind of a fascinating look a little bit into his heart. Pull verse 2 up again for me, please. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. Now, this is interesting because David probably lived in a a fortress. He probably would have lived in the largest structure in the town. When David walked on his roof, he was able to look and to see other things very clearly down into other people's houses, and at that period of time, people didn't have indoor plumbing. So anybody that was going to take a bath did so outside or typically in a courtyard for a little bit of privacy, but if you're on the highest location in the city, you can look down pretty easily into any courtyard and kind of see anything you wanted to see. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us if if, if this was an accident. It's it's possible David got up that one particular day and saw something for the first time. It's also possible that he had seen this before, was aware of this woman where she was, and wanted to see it again. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But there's this very interesting thing that happens between verse 2 and verse 3. It's not written, but it's very clear. At that moment, after verse 2, David had a choice. There's always choice. He could have walked away. And we need to understand, man, if you kind of see something for the first time that you're not planning on, it just kind of happens and you see it. That's not a sin. The sin is the second look, isn't it? Or maybe the prolonged first look. Kind of a football analogy, guys. It's never the first hit that gets flagged. It's always the second one. You know, you see that time and time again. One guy gets pushed, and he pushes back, and he's the one that gets the flag, right? David had a choice. He could have walked away. He could have never looked back, but he didn't. And so we're reminded in this moment that this idea of, of lust and, and eventually sexual abuse, we're going to see here in just a second, it certainly didn't start with David, certainly didn't end with David. The Me Too movement reminds us that it's still a problem in our world today still a problem we struggle with. So what do, we, what do we do about things like that? How do we deal with this? Well, the Scripture would say to us, listen, in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, we need to take every thought captive to obey Christ. Romans 12 says to us, We should not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by the testing that you may be discern what is the will of God, what is good and accurate and pleasing and acceptable. I, we went this last week, our team, our, 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 our ministry team went to Atlanta and went to a church conference. Really a leadership conference. A, a lot of kind of well-known pastors and, and some musical groups. And it's really just a time for us to sit down and listen and, and kind of be fed a little bit. And, and one of the speakers that was fascinating to me was Dr. Caroline Leaf. She's a cognitive neuroscientist, has a PhD, has written a, a number of books. But she's written books on the thought process, Right, and how your mind actually works and how you think. And I'm, I'm really interested to read her book. But one of the things she said, and I'm paraphrasing her here, but one of the things she said and explained was that the greatest determinant of, of success in our lives is our perspective and our attitudes and our thoughts. Right? She understands that it, it begins with our thoughts. And she explained that you can really rewire your brain and rewire your thinking toward the things of Christ. I think that's a a great thing scientifically we see that we can prove that, but the Bible's been telling us that for 2,000 years. We need to take captive our thoughts because it always begins with a thought. It always begins with a look. Now, I want you to notice what happens. Look at verse 3 again. So between 2 and 3, there's a choice. He sees her. He's aware of her, the choice occurs, he makes a choice now, it's not the correct one. Look what happens in verse 3. So David sent and inquired about the woman, right? Instead of just ignoring it and moving on, he wanted to know more. And one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him and lay with him, and now She had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and she sinned and told David, I am pregnant. Truth number two, I want you to see it and think through it with me together. It's very important in this context. I think it's even more important maybe in the context we're living with the Me Too movement. Truth number two, any sexual act outside of marriage is a sin. Any sexual act outside of marriage is a sin. I want you to notice, this is fascinating me in verse 3, what David's servant does. right? David's the king. He's in control. He's all powerful. He can kind of do what he wants to do. And so his servants have to be careful when they say things to him. They can't just say, hey, David, you're an idiot. You need to stop doing this. Don't be foolish. So they give him kind of a question instead. Look at verse 3. David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, he asked the a question, is is this not Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Right? It's like the servant has got the big red flag, the big red banner, and he's waving it in front of David's face. Hey, dude, um, isn't this uh, Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Don't you kind of see the red banner here flying in front of you? I'm trying to warn you, David, alarm bells are going off, red flags are are flying. I think it's fascinating that sometimes God sends people our way to help us make godly decisions. I think it's heartbreaking that sometimes we don't listen. (laughs) I mean, David had another choice. He would already messed up, right? He would already seen her, and now he's thinking about her, and he's wondering, and he's thinking, and he's reliving it in his brain and the picture. So then he goes to a servant. He says, I want you to go find out more about this woman. Now he's given another choice, to servant, I think, sent by the Lord, frankly, as a moment of grace in David's life. Listen, do something different, dude. Don't think about this again. This is a wife of the Hittite. This is a wife of Uriah. Run, and instead of doing that, David continues with the process. Now here's the thing about David, and here's the, pull that second truth up if you would for me, please. Here's the thing about David. Here's the thing about us. We understand this. We get it, right? David got it. David violated a couple of the commandments. The seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Very clearly, he violated that. The tenth commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to you. Don't covet anything about your neighbor, especially his wife. Right? David broke these two commandments. Jesus would later affirm this. And Jesus does what he always does. Jesus takes the truth and the teaching of the Old Testament, and he kind of adds a layer to it. right? So in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus says, listen, it's more than just the act. It's actually the thought process, right? When you begin that thought process, Jesus says, you're already committing a sin. I want to give you a word here in just a second that I believe has caused more damage in this debate, especially in our our culture today, than, than any other word. I've got it on the screen. The word is very simply consent. I think that word has caused more damage in our society than probably we'll ever, ever know, especially when it comes to the idea of sexual relations. Because here's the way we define it. We live in a world now that says as long as two adults consent, it's okay. Like I told you guys, I'm trying, every time I preach one of these sermons, I want to listen to both sides. I don't, I don't want to just hear the Christian view, I want to hear the other side. So I listened to some podcasts, and and I've listened to different podcasts and videos, and I watched a video this week from either Australian or New Zealand. uh, She was a professor in a university down there. and, And her title of her speech was basically, Where Does Flirting End and Sexual Harassment Begin? It's an interesting question. Because she said, you know, where, where does flirting in when, when is it okay to flirt? And, and where does that now become sexual harassment or sexual assault? Where is the line? Because this is a question apparently people all over the world want to know. People in, in industry and corporate, Where is the line drawn? And, and what she basically ended up saying was the line is drawn at consent. Right? As long as everybody consents, it's not a big deal. It can kind of become what it wants to. As long as everybody is consensual, th- there's not a problem. So we've reduced this idea of sexuality to consent, right? Now, that may make sense to, to the world. The problem is, biblically, consent is not the standard, and when we make it the standard, when we take the truth of God's word and we set it aside and we come up with our own absolute truth, right, consent, we shouldn't, be, uh, uh, we, we shouldn't worry or we shouldn't be surprised when it doesn't work all the time. Because the problem in our world today is this, isn't it? He said, she said. Like We've been down that road for the last two weeks visibly. We all know about it. We've seen it. We've read about it. I'm not going to walk down that road again this morning, but we've seen it. We know it. It's right? so all about consent. If she said okay, then it's fine. If he said okay, then it's fine. No big deal. The problem is that's not a biblical precedent. That's not a biblical standard. And so we've taken kind of this, this beautiful picture of what Christ has given us, the idea of the sanctity of marriage and, 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 and how that P- paints a picture of Christ and his church and, and how important that is to make. We've taken that and we've set it aside and we said, listen, it's really just about consent and as long as both people consent, it's fine. That's a lie. Amen. That leads us to places like the Me Too movement now, where people are abused. Because here's the amazing thing about marriage. <laughs> amazing. There's a lot of amazing things about it. I'm not real confused about who my wife is. Like I don't go home at lunch and go, you know, I don't know. Are we, are we married? I can't really. Do you want me here? mean, you happy? She's my wife. I mean, I've got a nice little piece of paper signed by a minister to say we did it. We've got witnesses, lots of pictures and videos, and we remember that day very well, right? Well, I know who my wife is. I don't have to worry about yes or no or consent. I know who my wife is. So that's the biblical model Christ gave us. And when we say to anybody other than our spouse, Do you consent? we're missing the teaching of Christ. And so just a quick little side note warning to our students, you know, high school, college, even a little bit younger and a little bit older, don't fall into this trap of consent. It's a lie. It's an absolute lie. Consent doesn't matter. God's word matters. And so until you're, uh, I guess to, to take a phrase from pop culture, until you put a, a ring on it. <laughs> is that right? Did I say that right? You don't do it. You don't have to worry about consent. It doesn't matter. When you say, I do, and she says, I do, then okay, you enjoy. God's given this to you as a gift. But We've reduced kind of sexuality and in our, in our culture to this idea of consent, and we've given up this incredible, life-giving, beautiful vision that God has given us in his word. We've missed it. I thought somebody was yawning at first. It's okay. I thought somebody was yawning. As long as you're not yawning, it's fine. <laughs> I want you to see something about this text that I've never seen before. And I think this really kind of hits home based on this Me Too movement and kind of what's going on in Scripture. And I think we need to see this because I had not seen it before. I had not fully understood it until I really kind of delved into it, and especially some of the words that the writer uses here. I would say to you after my study, Bathsheba did not give consent, right? I would say to you that she, in fact, had no choice. One writer explained it like this, and the wording is it's, "It's, tough, but I need you to hear it. King David, this is what the writer said, King David sent armed guards to bring one of his subjects into his bed. In every civilized country in the world, that's considered rape. I think that's probably true. So we see this man who, who kind of took his power and, and his ability and what he could do, and he leveraged it for his own desires, sinning in the process, taking this woman that obviously did not consent and clearly was not his wife, and he didn't care anyway, he did it. And so I want you to see now something really important that happens, and I want to kind of read through this. It's a little bit lengthy, but I want to read through the rest of this chapter, and I want you to pay attention to a couple of important things here. I want you to pay attention, first of all, to to kind of David's heart here and what he's thinking. But I I really want you to pay attention to the deceit in David's heart, the deceit in David's mind. Is it it mine? It's not mine, is it? Joyce. I love you, Joyce. Joyce. Now, I've got some ammunition out on her for the next six months. Every time we sit at lunch, hey, somebody's phone ringing. Never mind Joyce is it's <laughs> Joyce's. Okay, that's okay. Let's rein it back in. So I want you to pay attention. I want you to pay attention to David and to his heart, but especially, watch this now, his deceit. His deceit, right? Between verse 2 and 3, there's a choice He makes the wrong choice. It's going to lead him to do some very, very wicked things. I want you to pay attention. So David sent word to Joab. Right, He just found out Bathsheba's pregnant. He knows what's going on. He sends word to Joab, who's the commander. Send me Uriah the Hittite. Right. So Uriah's on the field. He's in battle. He's fighting. Send him back to me. Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing, how the people were doing, how the war was going. Small talk. Hey, so what's going on, man? I have things going up front? Right. Just making small talk. Uriah, verse, verse 8, Then David sent, said to, to Uriah, Go down to your house, wash your feet. Uriah went out of the king's house. There followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house while all the servants of his lord did not go down into his house. David is going to try to get Uriah to go home. He hopes he's got kind of a furlough. He's got a long weekend. He's back from the front. He'll go home. He'll be with his wife. A few months later, he'll find out she's pregnant. It's his kid. Nobody knows any better. David is off the hook. That's what he's hoping. You see the deceit? See what he's trying to do? right? That doesn't work. That doesn't work. And so I'm going to fast forward a little bit. So David says in verse 12, David said to Uriah, Remain here today and also tomorrow, and I'll send you back. I'm going to give you another day. Give you another day here, Uriah. Verse uh, 13, and David invited him and he ate in his presence and he drank so that he made him drunk. See what David's doing? In the evening, he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. Right? So it didn't work the first night. David says, stay another night. I'm going to give you plenty of wine. I'm going to get you drunk. Have my guys kind of lead you down to your house. One thing will lead to another. Everything will be fine. It still doesn't work. It still doesn't work. And so David kind of takes the next step. He sends a letter back and says, listen, I'm sending Uriah to the front, to the worst of the fighting, knowing full well when he gets there, he's going to be killed. That happens. A messenger comes and tells David he's been killed Uriah is dead. Look at verse 26. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the mourning, M-O-U-R, when the sadness was over, David sent and brought her to his house. She became his wife, bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Truth number three, incredibly clear in this text We know it, we understand it, yet we oftentimes forget it. Number three, sin leads to death. Always has, always will. What begins with a simple glance from a rooftop leads to adultery, sexual abuse, lying, eventually murder. Sin leads to death. Now, David is eventually going to repent of this, and I don't have time this morning. I'm running low. Psalm 51, you ought to read it. It's David's repentance, his transgression, and his iniquity, and his sin, and he begs for forgiveness. He asks the Lord to bless him and to forgive him, and God eventually does. We see a beautiful picture of reconciliation and forgiveness here. But I want to finish just in the few moments I have left this morning, and I want to talk specifically to the woman here that has been abused. Now, I don't know who that is. I don't don't know who that might be. I I just want you to know that that I want to spend just a a few moments here speaking to you, talking to you. Because in 2 Samuel chapter 12, I'm I'm not going to read it this morning, but basically Nathan comes to David. Nathan is the one guy in David's life that speaks truth to him. And, men, we all need somebody like that, by the way. If you don't have that person, you ought to be finding that person. You need somebody that will say to you, this is wrong what you're doing. You need to stop. That's Nathan to David. So Nathan comes to David and he tells this story. Listen, there's, there's a rich guy and a poor guy. Uh, the, the rich guy has a buddy that comes to stay with him and he wants to feed him something to eat. And so he goes to the poor guy and he takes the one ewe lamb, like the little lamb that this guy had raised. And the Bible talks about this guy taking care of it and treating the lamb like his daughter. This poor man loves the lamb. The rich man takes that lamb, slaughters it, and feeds it to his traveler. David hears the story, and he basically says, I'm angry, that shouldn't happen. This guy deserves to die. And Nathan says to David, Daniel, I mean, excuse me, Nathan says to David, David, you are the man. Like when you took Bathsheba, you took her from Uriah. She was innocent and helpless. You took her. You brought her. You are the man who sinned. And so you need to understand in, in this context and in this study, Bathsheba was never mentioned as doing anything wrong. Right? In, 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 in 2 Samuel 11, no. In 2 Samuel 12, she's not mentioned. In Psalm 51, there's no indication she did anything wrong. So, so based on, on that truth, And what she suffered through, I want to give just five things to the person that is struggling with this. Five things you need to hear. Five things I think would come right out of the scripture. The first one, we have it on the screen. It's not your fault. Like one of the struggles of women that go through sexual abuse is they try to figure out what they did wrong. That's kind of a standard deal. They try to figure out where I made a mistake and what I did wrong. and I just want to say, if you've been abused by anybody, it's not your fault. You didn't do anything to deserve this. You're not to blame. Here's the second thing. This was wrong, period. It's a sin. I wanted you to see that very clearly in this text. It's a sin what David did. He was the aggressor, and he sinned in this process. What happened to you was a sin, and it was wrong. Third thing I'd like you to know, just from my heart, I'm sorry this happened to you. I wish it never happened. I can't imagine the struggle you must have gone through. I can't imagine how difficult it must be for you. You read these accounts of the women that have struggled with this and what they've gone through and how it affects really a large portion of the rest of their lives. I know it must be incredibly difficult. I'm sorry. I wish I could change it. Fourth and, and, and maybe the most important one, and I, I say this, obviously I'm a man, but I married a woman and I'm raising three in my home. So sexual abuse is on the forefront of my mind, trying to understand. Here's the fourth thing, really a warning. We need to be careful. We need to be careful. Now we, we can argue about this and that and why and where, but, but, but women and even men, but women especially, just be on alert. There, there are sinful people in this world that will do harm. We can't walk through life with blinders on, assuming that things are going to be fine, assuming everybody's going to be good, assuming we can just go anywhere we want to go and say anything and everything's going to be fine. I I wish you had the freedom to do that. I wish we all did, but we don't. We live in a world of sin. Be careful. There's great danger. And then the final thing I'd like you to hear, regardless of what you've been through and and how much of a struggle this is and, and how difficult this has been for you, there is always hope in Christ always. I read a sermon this week I thought was very interesting. A pastor was, was talking about Jesus and, and how it related to the, to, the, to the sexual assault movement that we're going through. And he said, Jesus was never sexually assaulted. We, we see that scripturally. But Jesus was physically assaulted time and time again. Beaten, beard pulled out, falsely accused, crucified. And so he, doesn't, he, he, he didn't go through sexual assault, but he went through assault. He went through physical pain and anguish. And so I just think as we study Jesus and understand what he did, Jesus always stood with the broken and the oppressed, right? That was his heart. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we should say to Jesus, listen, if you're going to stand with people, if you're going to stand with the broken and the oppressed and those that need Christ and those that have been harmed, we should do the same. We should be willing to stand up and love people. We should be willing to give hope. We should be willing to forgive and offer Christ to any who would believe, asking him to bless us and use us for the sake of his kingdom. So wherever you've been, whatever you've gone through, whatever you've struggled through, there's always hope in Christ. There's always love. There's always joy. Receive that love from him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for this study, Lord, and for this particular text with David and Bathsheba. And Lord, I pray you just open our eyes to uh, kind of the Me Too movement and the the struggles with sexual assault in our world. Allow us as Christians just to stand firm, to stand firm on your truth or to to be the men and women of God we need to be, to to love those who have, have been through abuse, Father, to stand with them, to offer them hope in Christ. Father, just use us as the church to make a difference in this world, Father, and we'll praise your name for everything that you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand, the altar is open, An opportunity for you to speak to me or, or pray. You come as we sing together this morning.